0: Welcome to Hot Politics. My name is David Mackay. I'm deputy managing editor of Canada's National Observer, and I must admit, a bit of a political junkie. In Hot Politics, I examine who has the best ideas on important issues, especially when it comes to the climate crisis. Hot Politics is produced because you support us. And if you're a regular supporter, thank you. If you haven't yet, please donate. You might not believe it, but every little bit helps. Five or ten dollars as a one-time contribution or monthly gift. Please donate at nationalobserver.com. Today, Episode 7, Protecting the Oceans. Fisheries and Oceans Minister Joyce Murray has made some major conservation announcements recently. Some of them are moving Canada towards its promise to protect 30% of its oceans and waterways by 2030. And one was significant for wild salmon and industrial fish farms in British Columbia. Joyce Murray is joining me today, and I'll start by asking her about her decision on fish farms in the Discovery Islands. But first, a bit of background to help you picture the area we're talking about. The Discovery Islands is a group of sparsely populated islands between Vancouver Island and the mainland. This area is a major highway for wild, juvenile salmon swimming towards the ocean. There are more than a dozen fish farms, which many people believe are responsible for sea lice latching onto and killing the tiny salmon. First Nations and environmentalists have been calling for the closure of the farms to protect the salmon. In 2020, the previous Fisheries and Oceans Minister, Bernadette Jordan, did just that. She gave the farms two years to grow out their stock and then close by 2022. The multinational fish farm companies were pretty unhappy and they asked the federal court for a review of the decision. The federal court set it aside, saying the order to close was done without sufficient consultation. Bernadette Jordan lost her seat in the 2021 election. Joyce Murray became the new minister. She consulted extensively about the potential closing, speaking with the fish farm industry, First Nations, Fishers, And residents of the area. She was expected to make the decision by the end of January, but January came and went. Everyone was nervous. Then Friday evening, at the beginning of the family day long weekend, Mr. Murray issued a news release announcing that 15 fish farm licenses in the Discovery Islands would not be renewed, and the farms would have to close. Minister Joyce Murray joins me now. Welcome to Hot Politics.
1: Well, thank you very much, David. Happy to be on your podcast.
0: Can you explain your decision on the fish farms in Discovery Islands?
1: Yes, I made a decision to not relicense 15 Atlantic salmon aquaculture facilities in the Discovery Islands. I had a chance to let the companies know just before uh, being public with the decision and as well as to let the the First Nations that were involved um, with those companies know. And this is really a decision that was made to protect wild salmon in British Columbia. Wild salmon are in dire straits. The abundance of many, many runs is uh, very low. And wild salmon are Absolutely iconic to British Columbians, uh, indigenous and non-indigenous alike. And so in my view, any extra stressor on those salmon uh, that we do have control over needs to be managed. There are so many stresses that they are under with climate change habitat loss uh, illegal and uh, unregulated overfishing so so many stresses this just adds one more and i needed to take a precautionary approach in this decision to protect wild salmon
0: you talked about the the reaction and we we'll, and, and we'll dig into that a little bit more but overall i'm just wondering did any of the reactions surprise you
1: no, I was not surprised by the reaction frankly David. I mean, I I did consult uh, very thoroughly over the past 6 months with anyone who had an interest or was involved in aquaculture there and the First Nations who had partnerships with the aquaculture firms as well as many other First Nations who are historically reliant on sockeye and other salmon. So I did consult very widely, and I understood that there were those who were strongly interested in wild salmon being protected, and there were others that were very... Uh, committed to the growth and development of the aquaculture industry. And we're looking for a different decision. So I understood that. But in the end, uh, I, I would say the critical thing for me is that when it comes to protecting and restoring BC's wild salmon, failure is just not an option. Are you expecting any court action? Well, I'm not going to really guess about that. I feel that I'm on very solid ground here because there is uh, a great deal of uncertainty as to the science. And uh, there is certainly, uh, it is acknowledged by many scientists that, uh, that the Atlantic salmon aquaculture you know, the pens have a lot of fish in them and that amplifies uh, pathogens and parasites which are released into the ocean. And uh, Discovery Island's area, it's unique. There are concerns um, that Justice Cohen had well over a decade ago and he signaled that this area should be treated with uh, in a very precautionary manner. So uh, I think it's important that people know that uh, when there is uncertainty as to the science and a real concern about cumulative effects and this being one that we can actually manage, that the uh, the Fisheries Act actually compels me to take a precautionary approach to the management uh, responsibilities that I have. And so that's what I've done. And that was also in your mandate letter as well, right? absolutely that was uh, that was in my mandate letter and i will be continuing to work at uh, creating a plan to transition away from open net pen uh, salmon aquaculture in general my point about discovery islands is that it is uniquely or it is more vulnerable area for wild salmon migrating through uh, than some other parts of british columbia and that mandate
0: letter, the target date is 2025. Is, is is that doable?
1: I'm going to put forward a plan and then consult on it and get people's feedback. My goal is the protection and restoration of wild salmon. We're doing a lot of other things as a government uh, to, to that objective, and we'll continue to do that. And the transition away from open net pen salmon aquaculture is one of the tools that we have to... Um, to protect uh, wild salmon.
0: The companies has decided not to put any more fish into the farms until they knew whether they could stay. But you announced 15 of the 19 won't have their licenses renewed. So I'm wondering what's going to happen to the other four?
1: Okay. So there was only one farm that had any fish, and that was a small um, organic Chinook uh, family operation. And that those fish are in the water, and that farm will be a part of the overall transition plan. There were no other operating farms in the Discovery Islands, so the 15 were the ones that uh, were really at issue here, and I made a decision on them not to relicense. You know, as we talked about
0: at the beginning of this conversation, uh, there was reaction, some boos, some high fives. The BC Fish Farmers Association, they're saying that you ignored science from your own department in making the decision. I'm wondering how you respond to that.
1: Well, in fact, I'm very aware of the science assessments from my own department, of course. But also, I am aware that as there has been recent science that has shown impacts. So that creates uncertainty. And as the Fisheries Minister, when there's uncertainty, I am compelled to take a precautionary approach and that's exactly what I did.
0: For those folks who don't understand that term, the precautionary approach, what does that mean?
1: Well, it's to minimize any risks that I can. Precautionary means that because wild salmon are so significant, because the Discovery Islands is an area of greater risk because of the tight channels of uh, migrating salmon, I am compelled to take actions that I do have within my control, even though it's difficult, I know, for, uh, for the impacted uh, nations and, uh, and companies.
0: There's a Norwegian company that is already suggesting that it will go back to court. And in its news release, it says, and I quote, the company is now reviewing the decision and is considering its legal options. What do you think of that reaction?
1: You know, I can't really comment on potential court cases, so I'm not really going to speculate. I know that this was a solid decision made on the basis of uh, my responsibilities as as the fisheries minister. My primary responsibility is to protect wild salmon. There are a lot of stressors that I can't do anything about. So the additional stress of Atlantic fish farms, especially in this very... Um, tight uh, channels of the Discovery Islands area, it is my responsibility to take a precautionary approach. And um, that meant not relicensing in that area.
0: And so what do you say to people who say, well, the precautionary approach is only a small risk? How do you respond to that?
1: I think the key here, uh, David, is that there are so many stresses on wild salmon. So when there's a lot of stresses... If you can reduce one of them, you do. You need to do that. And the science, uh, as I said, is uncertain. So we have to take a whole of ecosystem approach. There is many aspects to this area, Discovery Island's area, that uh, make it tough for wild salmon. Another one I haven't actually even mentioned is that some of their food sources are also in low abundance. So the researchers are seeing fish that just don't have anywhere near the fat levels, which means the calorie reserves that they need to go up to their spawning places. So if a salmon can't spawn, that's... uh, you know, that's disastrous for the long-term survival of the species. When the salmon are stressed because they may have, a, they may have contracted a, a virus, a disease, they may have not had enough food to eat, they may be stressed from the temperature of the river water that they're migrating back up to spawn, they may not have the energy to get up the rapids that they used to have and can't get to their spawning place. So there are—it's a complex life journey, and there are many challenges. Salmon are just amazing, amazing creatures in terms of the how they get back to their natal stream to spawn to create the new generation of salmon, and there's just many impediments to that, especially with climate change.
0: There have been a lot of. Questions, as you well know, circulating about the science. Some saying that, you know, uh, the science from your own people uh, maybe needed to be beef, beefed up a bit. And and I'm and I'm wondering how you deal with that as a, as a minister. You have alluded to the fact that maybe, you know, uh, you'll have to depend on some sort of a science advisory board to give you a little bit more decision-making powers. So, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: For the purposes of this decision, David, what I did is I did some homework to find out what other scientists were saying, because I do respect the scientists at DFO. As you said, the science assessment process suggested minimal risk. I also noted when I was first uh, provided with my ministry's data that there had been no research to show, is there a cumulative risk? So if a fish um, has uh, contracts uh, porcine ret- retrovirus, PRV, and it also is a juvenile that is migrating during a period of a lot of sea lice and gets a lot of sea lice that are also creating some damage, it might also uh, contract another pathogen as, as well. And So altogether, any individual pathogen or parasite may not be the deal breaker for that fish's health. But when there's a number of different illnesses and challenges like the sea lice, How does that actually affect the fish? And that science is very difficult to do, so it hasn't been done. I did look into what other research papers through UBC, through Simon Fraser, UVic, and even spoke with a scientist from the university of a university in in Washington, where there is, well, they are across the border, also Pacific salmon habitat in the Oregon and Washington. And I discovered that there was a number of research papers that have shown that these um, parasites and pathogens do create uh, uh, disease conditions in the fish. So that created uncertainty. And there so, was the uh, and and there was
0: the letter that was sent to you on January the 30th by those 16 scientists, right, who expressed a lot of concerns.
1: Well, I have quite a, a, a detailed appendices of these uh, of the studies that are of concern, uh, some of which I've read and some of which I haven't. But that was doing my homework, frankly, is connecting with the uh, the more recent research that has come out um, since the science assessment was done in, I think, 2019.
0: I wanted to circle back briefly to the idea of of an independent advisory board. Is that something that you'll look into?
1: I will be looking into how we can have science process that is as robust as possible, including the very uh, skilled and and, uh, experienced scientists in the department, but also looking at the work of scientists that are in independent or in the universities.
0: We have talked about your mandate letter, and it says, in part, continue to work with the provinces of British Columbia and Indigenous communities on a responsible plan to transition from open net pen salmon farming and coastal British Columbia waters by 2025 and work to reduce Canada's first ever aquaculture act. So how many fish farms are they
1: and where are they? Um, I would, I don't know exactly at this moment, I would say it's somewhere around 80 uh, fish farms uh, outside of the Discovery Islands and so my attention will be turning to the broader transition uh, with this set of dis- th- with this decision uh, made at this point. Um, and yes, that that means a lot of consulting and listening and hearing the perspectives of people on all sides of the of the broader transition.
0: So that's a lot more fish farms. Uh, and I'm wondering how the climate crisis will factor into this decision.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna take this step by step um so, i mean it would be great to have uh, british columbia transition over time to uh, say a, a next generation truly sustainable aquaculture industry because i know that aquaculture has been very positive on the on in terms of jobs in quite remote rural communities and there is many types of uh, aquaculture that would not be a a concern to um, to us with respect to potential transfer of disease and pathogens um, to wild salmon. So I'm 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 interested in what might come out of this transition. And I'll be listening uh, closely to people who are in the business and people who have interests outside of the business.
0: Now, I know that we might be getting a bit ahead of ourselves here, but what about, you know, licenses for new fish farms? Is this is this a signal that won't happen?
1: This decision is about Discovery Islands, so I wouldn't generalize it to anything else, really. Discovery Islands was identified by Justice Cohen as being unique and uh, uh, worthy of special uh, precautionary approach, and that's exactly what I've done.
0: Minister Murray, I know that this has been a busy time for you. Uh, I thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, chat with us about this.
1: Well, oh, and thank you for your interest and your thoughtful um, conversation on this, David. Appreciate it.
0: Several times in our interview, Joyce Murray talked about the uncertainty of the science, and she referred briefly to a letter she received from 16 researchers concerned about the quality of the science she is receiving from her department. The letter writer's concern was a research report that concluded sea lice on wild salmon was not associated with the farms. The minister just made the decision about fish farms in the Discovery Islands, but she still has to make decisions about 80 farms in other parts of B.C. The researchers are worried about the science she will depend on to make those decisions. Just two days before her announcement, I spoke to two of the researchers who signed the letter to the minister. Larry Dill is professor emeritus in the Department of Biological Sciences at Simon Fraser University, He has co-authored more than 170 peer-reviewed papers, including many on sea lice and wild salmon. And Martin Kurkosik is an Associate Professor and Canada Research Chair in Marine Epidemiology at the University of Toronto. He has published more than 75 papers and two books. He has also studied sea lice and salmon for 20 years. Welcome to you both.
2: Morning. Morning.
0: People write these kinds of letters and gather many signatures to make an important point. So what were the the issues that you were trying to raise in this letter?
3: Well, the, the reason that we wrote the letter is for three reasons, I think. First of all, that we value wild salmon. Secondly, that we abhor poor science. And third, that we think it's essential that policy decisions made by government are based on good science. And this CSAS report is definitely not good science. I would characterize it more as junk science than as anything else. They have serious problems with the process by which it was generated, by the timing of its release, and most particularly, they conclude that there's no significant effect on lice loads on wild fish, which have been misunderstood and misinterpreted by those who benefit from doing
0: so. Martin, junk science? Well, there are a number of
2: problems with the study, which we point to as process problems with the peer review of the study, as well as what looks like selective reporting of non-significant results. And then there's technical issues. One that jumps out the most is that the results don't actually support the conclusions of the study. The results, when you combine them, show quite clearly that there's an effect of salmon farms on tealice of wild juvenile salmon, whereas the conclusions of the report say the opposite.
0: Okay, a lot of concerns, charges of junk science. What are your concerns with the conclusions of the report?
3: For example, they considered any wild fish within 30 kilometers of the farm to be equally at risk, whether they were downstream it hadn't even got to the farm yet, or whether they had passed the farm. So they're combining those two groups of fish and from all directions around farms, and including them as a single population.
0: Martin, I wanted to put this question to you. The report suggests that the science is not yet clear. Is that a reasonable statement?
3: No, I don't think
2: that's a reasonable statement. Uh, you know, there's over 30 studies that have already been published in British Columbia that make the connection between sea lice on wild juvenile salmon, and salmon farms. And so this DFO report isn't the only science that's ever been done on the topic. In fact, there's an abundance of published studies that conclude the opposite of what the report concludes. And the conclusions of the report don't really take that literature into account. It's as if the report itself is the only science on the topic. And in fact, it's not just a British Columbia issue. This is a global issue with lots of studies from Europe reinforcing these connections. In fact, in Europe, it's much more accepted that uh, salmon farms have an influence on the health of wild juvenile salmon and they're managed accordingly.
0: So Larry, do you think that DFO scientists are are operating in a bit of a vacuum then? (laughs) Well, it'd be rude of
3: me to say where I think that vacuum is.
0: Let's be blunt about this, the people who
3: authored this report all work for the aquaculture management branch or aquaculture science. They clearly have a vested interest in continuing aquaculture in BC. It's almost as if they turn a blind eye to any kind of evidence that might shut that down and I suppose might cost them their jobs, although I don't know why they can't manage aquaculture on land as well as they manage it in the ocean. They just seem reluctant and always have been reluctant. It's not just sea lice. Every time an issue comes up about salmon farms, it's fighting against these people to accept what is common sense and good science because it runs counter to their mandate to continue to promote aquaculture.
0: At the end of your letter, you attach some internal DFO emails that seem to be the back and forth between the scientists writing the paper and DFO managers can Can you explain what those emails tell you? Martin?
2: Sure. Essentially, two problems. One that has to do with what we call peer review. So in the scientific community, when we have um, our results, we write them up as a paper and we send it to a journal for publication. At the journals, the the manuscript will be reviewed by independent anonymous reviewers who provide comments on the manuscript, pointing out technical problems, problems of interpretation, and so on. And the idea there is that you have experts that are arm's length from the work who are reviewing it. And that's kind of our quality control system in science. The report was generated by the CSAS process, the Canadian Science Advisory Secretariat process. It does have its own internal peer review process But what we see from the emails is that the peer review for this report consisted of just one individual who is known to be closely associated with the salmon aquaculture industry. But we wouldn't really consider that an independent uh, peer review, just having one person that is already associated with the industry. So there's a problem with the peer review. And then there's the problem where it appears that multiple different analyses were conducted, but only the analyses that showed non-significant associations were retained in the final report. And so that type of selective reporting is, you know, has red flags going up. Um, That's not how we do science.
0: Larry, what's the bottom line here with these emails?
3: The bottom line is there seems to be some hanky-panky going on. I don't know how else to put it. Um... You know, it seems, again, that the authors of the report had a foregone conclusion that they wanted to come to, and they did whatever they could to make it come out that way. There there's some other things that we discovered from that ATIP process as well. One of them is that this report was completed as far back as August, and for some reason was held back. Now, we think the reason it was held back and released in the middle of January is because that's the time when the minister was making her decision about the Discovery Island farms, whether to keep them closed or reopen them. And the moment that that report came out, the aquaculture industry immediately said, ah, this proves that uh, we're not having any impact in in the Discovery Islands on wild salmon. So clearly an attempt to influence the minister's thinking on this. I can't think of any other reason why it would have been withheld.
2: The idea that you can have net pen aquaculture and at the same time eliminate the interaction between wild and farm fish is a fantasy, simply not possible. They share the same marine environment. The other thought I have is that the timing uh, has to do with the timing of these decisions and the science advice that's going up to the minister. The report that we're talking about, it's focused on sea lice, and sea lice are one of many issues that are being considered, but it is an important issue. Now, the report wasn't the only thing that is coming up through the CSAS process. There is also a risk assessment that is on the agenda, and I think that risk assessment is an important project to undertake, and if it's done properly, there's no doubt in my mind that the conclusions that come out of that risk assessment will be completely contradictory to what the conclusions of the report are. However, there's been so many delays, in fact, that risk assessment is not even scheduled yet, that uh, these very important decisions by the minister are going to happen before that uh, any science advice from that risk assessment would uh, be generated and passed up to the minister. So these big decisions that are happening are being informed only by this report, which is full of problems as opposed to a proper uh, risk assessment that would have broad input from the scientific community.
0: In an interview before the minister made the Discovery Islands decision, I asked her about the letter from the scientists. Give it a listen. Now, the department report was issued just a week before you were expected to make a decision on Discovery Islands, and it said that no statistically significant evidence existed that sea lice on wild juvenile salmon comes from the fish farms. So in challenging that, the letter from the scientists said that there's strong evidence that in fact, salmon farms are the main cause of sea license in juvenile uh, salmon swimming past these farms. And they suggested that you're not getting quality advice. Now, in an answer earlier, you talked about, you know, the importance of of, of scientifically sound advice. So I'm wondering what you think of that letter. (laughs)
1: Well, firstly, uh, it concerns an issue that is a huge priority for me and most British Columbians, which is the plight of wild salmon stock on the on the West Coast here. Like that is my number one priority is to defend and protect uh, wild salmon and that's why we have some 650 47 million dollar Pacific salmon strategy to implement a whole range of ways to protect and recover wild salmon stocks so that's the first thing i will say science is a very important basis for the work that i do and Having trust and confidence in DFO and our scientists is, is, is very important to me. So I am, of course, aware of external scientists' report. I take it very seriously, and I'm going to do my best to make sure that there is a, fa- a framework of scientific analysis that I can depend on and that the public is satisfied is a robust framework. At this moment, we have many in the public that are don't have confidence in the department science, and so maybe we need to broaden the team of people that are willing to to do analysis and share data with me.
0: A lot to dig in there, Larry. What do you think? I think her answers are
3: are reasonable. I'm pleased that she's considering, you know, an, an independent advisory body. That would be a very uh, positive move forward. But you know, to take up her theme. I think that the, the report that just came out, the CSAS report that we're talking about, you know, it doesn't do anything for the minister. I think it's not helpful to the minister, and I think it's not helpful to the Canadian public, because I think it is reducing the confidence in DFO science.
2: And this report, with all of its problems, it exposes the vulnerabilities in how science advice works within the Canadian government. This isn't necessarily an isolated incident. And in fact, for decades, people have been pointing out this problem, thinking about the collapse of the Canadian cod. People were calling out the same problems back then, decades ago. It's extraordinary to have uh, a letter like the one that we put together with such broad representation from the scientific community. Like The people that uh, signed on to that letter are not 16 sea lice experts, right? We've got people from a broad range of the biological sciences, including some of our leaders in academic science in Canada.
3: I'm glad Marty made that point because the fish farmers are are saying we're a bunch of uh, anti-fish farm activists. You look at that list of names, uh, you might recognize uh, Sally Otto on there, who was reporting on the COVID pandemic and the science behind mutations and so forth there. So, I mean, as Marty says, this this is not just a small special interest group. This is a large group of scientists with deep concerns.
2: I think it speaks to the systemic nature of the problem of science advice in Canada, as well as the specifics of the sea lice issue. Both of those are problems that need to be addressed.
0: So what will you guys be looking for in, in, in the weeks and months ahead? Well, a couple of things
3: that I can think of. I mean, we've asked for the data so that we can properly reanalyze it. And we haven't had a response on that as far as I know. And secondly, we would like them to just uh, put that report in the, in the bin and properly reanalyze the data. And for me, I'd like to see an ethics investigation as well. Because as I said, there is some
0: hanky-panky going on there. Hanky-panky, panky. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that is, if it's an allegation or suspicion, or but it's something.
2: When you publish your work, you make your data available, you make your uh, computer code that analyzes the data available, everything is open to the scientific community to go and evaluate. And one of the purposes of that is to simply see if your results are reproducible. This report doesn't meet that standard.
0: Well, as both of you point out, scientific advice goes well beyond this issue. You know, uh, science is something that governments depend on. And they always make a point to say our decisions are scientifically based. Our decisions are based on sound science, whether you're talking about salmon or whatever the case may be. So this is certainly an issue that we will keep an eye on. Larry Dill and Martin Krakosik, thank you very much for taking time to be part of Hot Politics. Appreciate it.
3: You're thank welcome. You for having... Thank you for having us.
0: Bye now. Bye-bye. We'll close out the show by circling back to the recent big news, the announcement of the fish farm closures in the Discovery Islands.
4: Bob Chamberlain, Chair of First Nation Wild Salmon Alliance, very pleased with Minister Joyce Murray's announcement. What I find as important as the decision itself was the acknowledgement of the science that is available that's different from what the Canadian Science Advisory Secretariat has put in front of her. The minister has demonstrated to me that she is indeed open and listening to other sources of information that are indeed credible and to me expose the fallacy of objectivity that is the CSAS process within the DFO.
1: I'm Alexandra Morton. I'm an independent scientist investigating the science in DFO regarding salmon farms. I'm very impressed with Joyce Murray's decision. I know this is an aggressive industry. It's very rare that a minister does something that actually benefits the natural world immediately. And this decision certainly does benefit millions of wild salmon.
2: My name is Martin Kirkozik, and I'm a Canada kind of research chair in marine epidemiology and an associate professor at the University of Toronto. Good news for uh, conservation of wild salmon. The reason that Fraser River uh, salmon are in so much trouble is because there's so many different negative, usually human, effects on salmon, and not all of them are actually amendable to management. For example, global climate change. But here is one that is amendable to management change, and it's nice to see the precautionary approach.
4: My name is Dallas Smith. I'm the spokesperson for the Coalition for First Nations for Finfish Stewardship, and I'm also a spokesperson for the Klawite Seas Nation. quite disappointed with Minister Joyce Murray's decision on the Discovery Islands and her refusal to even acknowledge a proposal from the Liquid Oak Nation that was looking for renewal of two licenses right now in the Discovery Islands and the possibility over time of up to five more for a total of seven licenses. We understand the concerns around Fraser River sockeye and we feel that the proposal we developed has tremendous mitigation steps in place and unfortunately the rights and title of the nations who are feeling the impact of her decision were not taken into consideration whatsoever. Hi,
2: I'm Stan Probosh, senior scientist with Watershed Watts Salmon Society. I'm ecstatic about the uh, decision that uh, came down. This minister is definitely a warrior. She's not backing down from legal
3: challenges from the industry. My name is Larry Dill. I'm a professor emeritus at Simon Fraser University, and I'm very pleased with the minister's decision. The independent science certainly backs the decision that she's made. It's a great day for wild Pacific salmon, but it's only a beginning. We now want to wait and see what kind of progress can be made on the mandate that she has to remove all farms from BC's waters by 2025.
0: We wanted to include comments from the industry. Unfortunately, no one in its association would talk to us. That's it for Hot Politics today. Tell us what you thought of this episode or the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. We'd love hearing from you. Hot Politics is produced by Canada's National Observer. Our managing producer for podcasts is Sandra Bartlett. Associate producer, Zara Kozema. And editor-in-chief is Karen Pugliese. Our publisher is Linda Solomon-Wood. I'm David Mackay. Next week, it's Maxed Out with Max Fossett. See you in two weeks.